are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. As always, as the good lady says, yes, your team every day, the Locked On Browns podcast. I am your host, Jeff Lloyd. Uh, guys, as you know, whether it's Alexa or Surrey, always play Locked On Browns, and she will be care- uh, Be sure, the fine ladies will be sure to take care of you there. Um, whether it is Instagram, whether it is Twitter, the Locked On NFL Network account, guys, uh, anything you get from hosts like me, whether it's the th- other 31 team host, Matt Williams, who hosts the national show, the draft shows, the fan- uh, the fantasy shows, they're all funneled through those accounts. So any information you're looking for, NFL Live from the Locked On NFL Network, Instagram and Twitter, the Locked On NFL Net accounts are fantastic over there. Go ahead, follow those, and they'll get you any information you're looking for. Obviously, you know, uh, you know, as we get here to Championship Sunday, you guys may be just looking for a little bit more of the Browns coverage as we get into Sunday's game. But we do have a lot of Browns coverage to talk here today. Uh, I wanted to get somebody who was in the building today for the press conference. And uh, first things first for me, guys. A guy shows up to a press conference wearing a full suit and a baseball hat. Uh, that's, that works for me. Uh, the Catholic high school and me, uh, you know, we never had hair in those days playing football. So it got cold in the winter. So, yeah, we showed up with our jacket and tie on and our baseball hat and left them in our lockers. Um, but I thought it went over pretty well. We're going to get a little bit more of a, you know, inside here, uh, inside the building here. WKYC, uh, Ben Axelrod was in the building today. Um, ben, obviously a good day. Uh, you know, definitely seemed like there was a lot of positive vibes to it. But uh, what were some experiences you took out of today firsthand? Yeah, the, these things are generally filled with positive vibes. And, and, and that's okay. And, and that's what it's supposed to be. And, and it's better than... Uh, the alternative where, you know, we, we were just talking off air here where you have a situa- situation like the New York Jets where the entire introductory press conference turns into uh, a, a giant meme. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, these things are generally positive. Hugh Jackson's uh, three years ago was, was very positive, and, and he gave all the killer quotes, and everybody was, was very positive coming out of that. And uh, we, we saw what happened for, for the next two and a half years. But um, this was different because we, we know Freddie Kitchens already. We're, we're familiar with Freddie Kitchens. Um, we, we have at least a half season's resume worth of work as, as far as his job uh, as the offensive coordinator. So um, when he showed up there and, and showed up in that, that brown suit with the orange tie and uh, the, the khaki browns, uh, dad's hat it, it kind of went with what we already know about him and and that this wasn't you know his ideal situation and that, that he'd much rather be in his dog pound hoodie but uh, he gave some great quotes he, he said everything you'd expect him to say uh, John Dorsey said everything you, you'd expect him to say uh, I thought it was telling that that Jimmy and D Haslam weren't up on the dais that, that they were sitting in the crowd with the rest of the team employees and uh, JW Johnson too, for that matter. So yeah, I mean, it, it was an introductory press conference. I, I don't know how much we actually learned um, and I don't know how much you actually can learn from these situations, but yeah, overall, I, I think, you know, it, it, you know, my first instinct was to kind of rain on everybody's parade and, and make fun of them for celebrating a, a press conference. But to me, have fun with this. Like this, this, it's the off season the, the Browns are coming off of building some some positive momentum for the first time in 11 years and um, it's okay for this to be a celebratory day for the Browns I, I quite frankly the, the more that I thought about it I, I think that it should be um, and the thing is I think everybody and you made a big uh, mention of the resume and that was the thing and that's what nobody else had going into this and when you have a young roster and it's only going to get better and it's not that it's just a young roster I mean it's it's a young roster of extremely high draft choices and guys who are just scratching the surface and doing dominant things, whether it's a Baker Mayfield or a Miles Garrett, 
you know, Miles Garrett fooling around in the 12 and a half sacks was, you know, still a little bit learning to do. Baker Mayfield kind of learning on the fly because, you know, he played for some guys who didn't really know what they were doing or, you know, he basically clashed heads and butted heads over what the general idea of the team was. Then he got with somebody who said, look, man, we're just going to let it loose and let it fly and try to go out there and score some points because if we don't score points, we're going to win. And all of a sudden, from there, it just you know, basically took off. For me, I always go back to the Carolina week. I think for the way Fred, Freddie handled it during the week in the press conference kind of gave a lot of props to Luke Keekley. And then his game, the two counters to Jarvis Landry, he kind of almost like went after Luke Keekley. Like, I know you're so good. I've got to come with something that you haven't seen yet. And it was after that, and, and those couple of plays, and, and pulling out the win, it was just like, wow. This guy just went from a guy nobody really knew of. You know, here's a guy who's bounced around for 13 years. And wow, this guy's going to end up being a le- legitimate contender to be the head coach of this franchise. Yeah, to, to me, and, and I think the two games were back-to-back, the, the Carolina game and the Denver game, right? Yep. Um, I, I think that those two weeks there that was like the turning point in all of this because, you know, we, we had seen Baker come out and, and light up the Falcons and light up the Bengals. Uh, and, and those, you know, have it weren't two, two very good teams this year, but, but when Carolina came here um, and, and that almost felt like, you know, a schedule loss or, or um, you know, just in, in terms of, you know, what the Panthers have accomplished. I, I know they didn't have their best year, but but they're typically a, a pretty good team and they have a lot of talent. Um, and, and then to go to Denver in, in a road game at night in prime time, um, those were two games that, that to me really, really stacked up this resume as far as something you have to take seriously. And, and you look at the Carolina game, a game where Baker played very, very well. Um, and then you to look at the Denver game, a, a game where statistically Baker didn't play all that well, but Freddie Kitchens was still able to, to scheme up enough things to, to put the Browns in winning situations and, and put Baker in situations uh, to, to make winning plays at the end. To, to me, that was the stretch where it went from, OK, you know, th- this is kind of a cute little end to the season to, hey, they're, they're actually building something here on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and the Browns, Browns probably have to take a, a pretty long and hard look at, at building this thing into the offseason and, and into the future. Yeah, and for me, you know, the Denver game is another great call on your point. Um, but I, I go to the audible late in the game to the, you know, the slant touchdown pass to Antonio Callaway. And it takes me back to Hugh Jackson, Deshaun Kaiser playing the Jets last year. And Deshaun Kaiser, I think it was either third down or fourth down, makes an audible, basically the same spot on the four-yard line to almost an option pitch, and the play just didn't work. It resulted in a fumble, and everybody was blaming, you know, Deshaun Kaiser. For me, I was blaming, well, that's a terrible call. That shouldn't be the audible there. And then you go one year later with a guy really nobody knew who was just cutting his teeth as an offensive coordinator, and obviously Baker Mayfield, a much you know more established you know, rookie quarterback coming into it. And it was like, yeah, well, no, see, rookies can do this. They can do this when everything's working together correctly and it's clicking, and that you know that was definitely another sticking point to me because I mean you know Baker whether it was you know you know the you know the atmosphere in Denver and you know the climate you know there and, and balls were sailing and maybe he was a little geeked up because it was prime time it was his first start in a prime time game obviously he didn't get the start against the Jets and it was just I mean it just left you wow and then the way they were able to come back the last half against Baltimore and you know in all honesty I mean probably should have walked out of there with a W Baker Mayfield's going to be kicking himself the entire offseason that he had four plays 
and did nothing with him. I, you just know the way the guy's driven. So I definitely, you know, uh, agree with you there. And it was just all of a sudden. And, you know, I think that I think the Browns did him the best favor they could and said, look, we're going to interview you last. This is completely foreign territory to you. Go get your stuff together and, you know, we'll call you when you're ready. It's going to be at least a week or, you know, 10 days away. Get yourself ready for a head coaching interview and we'll see where we're at. And, you know, from all accounts and, you know, of everything, it seems like he did a pretty good job with it. Yeah, and, and I actually think that the way that the interview process went and the way that this whole thing was set up, uh, Freddie Kitchens was probably the front runner all along. To his, me, his game to lose. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the fact that, that they even interviewed him, um, that, that to me tells me that, that they really thought he had a legitimate chance at getting this job. And, and to me, if, if you were handicapping this all along, um, I, I would have said that he was the front runner from the moment that John Dorsey said after the season that they were going to interview him. Um, it, it, it's uncharted water. I, I can't remember another time a, a team has ended a season with, with an interim head coach and an interim offensive coordinator and chosen to, to interview both of them. So, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, I, you know, throughout the season, things got a little bit when, when we were talking about the coaching search. There were a lot of people saying, well, what more do you need to see from Greg Williams? Um, and wh- while that was a valid point, I, I also think that there are reasons why Greg Williams was probably never seriously considered for this job. But when you look at at, at Freddie Kitchens, it, it's kind of the same logic where you where you say, hey, when, when it comes to this offense and, and when it comes to the guy who's most important in, in the, the future of this franchise and uh, the guy who, who's most important in terms of this coaching search, Baker Mayfield, what more do you need to see with, with Freddie Kitchens? So uh, to me, I, I, I really believed that, you know, as, as the season came to an end, I thought Freddie Kitchens made a really strong case for himself. And then the fact that John Dorsey was willing to interview him and that the Browns were, were willing to, to interview him and come out and publicly say that they were going to interview um, and be upfront about it. To, to me, that told me that he was really the front runner in this thing the whole time. Well, I think what you look at is, I mean, you looked at their, you know, their young skill everywhere, and everybody got a chance to eat under Freddie Kitchens. There was a week everybody had a day, or even for you know the fringe guys at a skill position where they had roles. I mean, there's not a lot of times where you see your third string tailback getting called a play where he's going to throw a pass. And I think that was able to keep everybody engaged. And a lot, obviously a lot was made. Uh, you know, J.C. Trader put his comments out there that, you know, he went in and sat with the offensive line. And guys, w- what do you like? What are your four or five best plays? And that shows coaching growth that you're never really going to hear about a guy who was just a positional coach. Um, you start to hear it when you get to a coordinator spot. But it also shows everybody you're working with is, I'll take your input. And, you know, th- the coach flip to it is, is when I say, hey, guys, I need a little more on a Wednesday practice Please give it to me because you know I got your backs everywhere else, and it was—it's it, the perfect yin and the yang. I'll give if you give, and it'll work back and forth here this way. And I think he won over almost everybody on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, look, the defensive side of the ball—I mean, almost all the play, the, the pieces are there. You know, they obviously have the resources to add a little bit more. Um, maybe it was time for a new voice, but the point you made with Greg Williams, Greg is going to have to wear Bounty Gate forever, and. Yep. It does suck because Greg got caught. It's not like Greg invented this or it was ever the guy who first tried it or did it. Greg's the guy who got caught. So Greg's going to just have to be happy with whatever coaching jobs, you know, and obviously he's got 13 of them. You know, people send him letters all the time then. 
But um, he's just going to be happy with what he can get because he's kind of the poster boy for that. But meanwhile, that's something that's been going on for 25 years in the NFL. Right. Not well, and, and, and he doesn't necessarily help himself either when he no. comes out and, and talks about all the – you know, he kind of turns himself – into a punchline when when he talks about all the job offers that he's allegedly had and and that's you know that that's fine that's um you know he did a way better job as the browns interim head coach uh that then i think anybody could have ever fathomed um and he deserves a lot of as much credit as freddie kitchens gets for the last eight weeks uh greg greg williams deserves a ton of credit as well but yeah i mean when, when you're looking at this franchise and what it needs, and, and this kind of speaks to what John Dorsey talked about today. I mean, Freddie Kitchens just checks off all the boxes, especially, um, you know, I didn't buy the idea that, that they were willing to listen to um, or that they were looking for the best head coaching candidate, period. I, I think that they wanted to hire a guy with, with that offensive mindset because that's the way the league is trending. And, and you look at the hires that have been made across the league, and mm-hmm. I think it shows as much. Um, and then, too, I, I think, you know, Freddie Kitchens, his resume is lacking in terms of he only has eight games of coordinator experience. But other than that, like he has a very diverse uh, uh, resume in terms of the positions he's coached. He's coached quarterbacks. He's obviously coached running backs. He's coached tight ends. Um, he, he's been around multiple staffs. He's been around multiple multiple teams, multi, multiple levels. Um, he has a, a strong resume. Like this isn't a guy who just fell backwards into a running backs coach's job. Uh, under Todd Haley last year. It, it's a guy who spent a significant amount of time in Arizona under uh, Bruce Arians. And, and, and before that, he, he coached at the college level. Um, the, he, he's not like a, a, a spring chicken or, or uh, what have you. He, he is a guy who, who's been around the league. Um, and I think that, that, you know, he really, as opposed to Greg Williams, where, you know, you're in a situation where if you hire him, um, and, and I don't think the Browns ever seriously considered it, if, if we're being honest. But no. he, he would have that retread label, whereas with Freddie Kitchens, you, you feel like you're getting something new. You feel like you're getting something fresh. Yeah, I mean, through this cycle, obviously, the uh, the you know the offensive mind is what everybody's chasing. You know, whether it's the McVay or you want something like a Sean McVay. Um, you know, Freddie's kind of that. He's just not, you know, the, the billboard hunk like McVeigh or Cliff no, Kingsbury is, is. You're not going to sell him in that way. Uh, guys, we're talking to Ben Axelrod here on Locked On Browns. Matt Williamson over at Locked On NFL. Matt uh, does the flagship show for us here. Does a fantastic job. Your Monday show, you get hosts, uh, you know, of the biggest games of the weekends, whether it's guys like myself. Obviously, you're going to probably get all four of the hosts uh, next Monday as he breaks down, you know, the two championship games. You get Sage Rosenfels for offensive analysis. You get Mike Renner from PFF coming in through. Mike Sando from ESPN. Friday, Matt will break down all the games, give his predictions. The Locked On NFL Podcast with Matt Williamson. If you're not subscribed, I highly suggest you do that now. Now, uh, a couple of things. Now, one of the things that I, I truly took away from Freddie today was the it was the selling cars, washing trucks on weekends, and it was you know here's a Southern kid a whole his life you know you know I mean you know basically it was faith, family, football, and he wanted to get back to it. And look, I mean you know he had to go every route along the thing you know every route where they would have him. Finally, a phone call from Bill Parcells, and it just seems you know it's it's. It's usually one of three names. It's Parcells, or it's Bill Walsh, or you know, uh, you know, the Shanahan's, or whatever, and, and that type of coaching tree. But the guy, you know, went every stop of the way, did everything he was asked to do, and when he finally got an opportunity to really pad his resume, 
He did, and, and you just got to appreciate it. And I think that's something that would sell in the Cleveland market because it's it's kind of self-made, but it's also you know nose to the grind and stuck to it. Yeah, I mean, Freddie Kitchens is is not going to have any issues selling uh, to to the Browns fan base. I I think um, at one of those press conferences toward the end of the season when he talked about you know how how he gets along with Cleveland and, and Cleveland gets along with him, um, he he kind of hit the nail on the head there. And yeah, it's you know it, it, it it'll be interesting because I don't I don't as talented as this team is is set up and. As, as good as Baker Mayfield, I think is, and, and most people think is, um, you know, you're not guaranteed success in the NFL, and, and Freddie Kitchens um, conceivably could flame out. But it, even if Freddie, this Freddie Kitchens era is a failure, and, and I don't think it will be, it's hard for me to imagine Freddie Kitchens kind of getting that vitriol that, that Hugh Jackson got, or uh, that Pat Shermer got, or, or any of the previous. Browns head coaches have have gotten you know what once things get bad um you know obviously winning takes care of itself and that that is the the end all be all here is is Freddie Kitchens is going to be judged based on what his record is as as Browns head coach but um he he is going to be a fan favorite as as far as the uh the the fan base is concerned and um I I don't think I I I for the life of me I cannot understand how Nike and, and how the Browns have not found a way to stock the Browns team shop with those orange dog pound hoodies, because uh, if, if they could do that, I, I think that would probably be the hottest selling item in Cleveland since the Peyton Hillis Jersey. Oh, there, there's no doubt in my mind. And the other <laughs> thing is, is who turns down free money? It's right. like, well, I mean, you know, I mean, look at it from the selling aspect, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, I used to be a short order cook and I remember, you know, a couple of truck drivers walked in at like two o'clock in the afternoon and my manager, you know, they, they all wanted breakfast. And I, my, I, you know, I, I, I kind of had to politely tell them no. And my manager's like, what are you doing? I said, like, well, we don't do breakfast at two. She's like, there's eight of them. Lower the grills. We're not turning down eight people's orders. And it was like, well, yeah, well, I mean, who in their right mind is going to turn down money? So, I mean, you know, I mean, the, you know, you, you guys got to, you know, between that and it, like Ben also said today on Twitter, uh, guys, the, uh, the color rush jerseys. I mean, guys, <laughs> strike while the iron's hot. This is business, man. Let's go. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this much. They, um, back in October, after they, they beat the Jets, um, they they came out and they were selling the Rally Possums, the Rally Possum dolls. Yes. And and they sold out of them within 24 hours. So if they're, they're selling out Rally Possums, I, I can only fathom, I can't even fathom how, how quickly those orange dog pound hoodies would sell if they found a way to get them back on the shelves. Well, and that's even the thing, because this is probably the first time anybody's mentioned the Rally Possum since probably right. Halloween. But, I mean, whether it's the throwback jerseys or whether it's, you know, I mean, or you want to know what, Freddie, find a way to do it yourself, buddy. I mean, there you go. You can make extra money on top of the contract. Yeah. Uh, I can see his wife selling them out of the garage or whatever in the house that they have over <laughs> well, at Shaker Heights. They'll be in the Muni lot next year. It's, it's just going to be a matter of whether or not they're, they're legitimate items or not. Exactly, and, and how good they look. Uh, right. I know I'm trying to chase one down, and I actually put something on Twitter and uh, it was actually uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine. Um, her her son plays college football. His roommate's from Cleveland. She's like, now oh, we're going on a fact-finding message for you. I'm like, all right, guys, please, 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 if you can make it happen, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the story today with Freddie. And it, the one thing I do like is I think Freddie's going to be short and contrite. And the one thing that I did take away from today is, is look, Baker Mayfield is always going to be the guy that's going to say, if it's a bad day, I've got to play better. 
And I think the one refreshing thing that all of us fans are going to take away from this is, even if it's after a loss, you were going to have Freddie Kitchens say up there, and it, 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 there's going to be no question about who Freddie Kitchens is going to put the focus on. He's going to put it on himself. And that's what every fan of this team needed to hear today. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. And, and yeah, you can uh, you look at that opening statement he gave and, and the quotes about, you know, I and, 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 and the two is one and one is none and all of that. Um, it, I don't know if he was directly throwing shade at Hugh Jackson, but he, was. he might as well have been. He was throwing um, shade. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, he's going to take ownership of this thing. Um, you know, he, he, he said the thing about the Super Bowl. He said the thing about how he hopes next season ends with the team being up on the podium. I, I don't, I mean, look, I'm not going to come out and predict the Browns are going to the Super Bowl or anything, but like it's playoffs or bust next year. Like this team better no be doubt in the playoffs. This team probably should be the AFC North champions. Like, I, I don't think it's unrealistic to go from, from seven, eight and one to, to, to winning the division. Uh, especially when you look at the state of the division and they um, should have won it this year. They shouldn't have it, lost to Tampa. And I'm trying to think there was another loss that they shouldn't have had. They should have had nine wins. They probably should have won the Baltimore game. They oh, should have won nine. When, when, yeah. I mean, when you go, what was it? One, two and one in overtime. And that's not even factoring in that saints loss. Like yep. there were, there were probably at least three wins left on the on the the schedule this year. Like they they left three wins out there on the field. Um, if not, you know what, two and a half, <laughs> one and a half. Like yep. they they left some wins out there on the on the field. So um, like it's playoff or bust. Like there there's no moral victories next season. It's it's none of that. And I think Freddie Kitchens realizes that. And he he made the comment about you know it, it makes him sick that everybody is so impressed with seven eight and one this year. Um, so so yeah, I mean I. I Look, it's easy to say these things right now when when you're 0 and 0 as a head coach, and once those losses start adding up, maybe he will start deflecting and and start you know parsing out you know and, and trying to to just survive like any head coach I think would. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought that you know when when he talked about expectations and uh, he he talked about what he thinks this team can accomplish just next season alone, like to me, that was completely in line with what my expectations for the, for this team is moving forward. Well, I mean, and, and you look at it, look, you know, Cincinnati is obviously in oh, probably in a complete rebuild type of mode. Uh, Pittsburgh, yeah. the wheels are falling off. Ben, Ben Roethlisberger is held together by that black medical take, black medical take that's uh, Cesaro wears on WWE. <laughs> um, the Ravens, look, I love Lamar Jackson, but if they're not going to let him be a full-time NFL quarterback, I don't know how this is going to work. Um, you know, I, I get, you know, the uh, when the Dolphins used to try to run their offense through Ronnie Brown, I mean, you're either going to have to let the kid be a full-time quarterback or not. You're not going to win week in, week out playing that you know, style of football in in 2019, which will be next year. So, yeah, you have to, I mean, absolutely they have to be the front runners in that division, figuring all the talent they have, and now they've actually proven it with more talent to come. Locked on Browns here, guys, with Ben Axelrod. Locked on Cavaliers, my buddy Chris Manning's doing a fantastic job over there navigating you. We're doing great shows with positive spin to them for what is not a positive season or a great season by any means. But Locked on Cavaliers with Chris Manning, guys. If you were not listening to those shows, make sure you are now. Um, I just want to get here. Now, obviously, the one thing we had talked about now as they were going to get through this coaching search is, and Ben, it's crazy enough to say this is, there's going to be guys who want to come be part of the Cleveland Browns staff, and they're going to look for it 
as a springboard opportunity. Um, Steve Wilkes obviously got, I mean, kind of screwed over. No head coach should only get one calendar year with a team. So obviously the way things worked out in Arizona, he kind of got a raw deal here, there. He comes over and he's in a tough spot because nobody's really looking to hire defensive-minded head coaches. So it's a tough spot for him, but you come here with a lot of talent. And, you know, Todd Munkin looking for that final, you know, nail in the resume to get him a head coaching gig. Baker Mayfield, yeah, all right, I'll be a part of that. And, and you get these guys coming over, and and, you know, and Campin's another one coming over after 15 years in Green Bay. These guys also willingly just to come to this Cleveland Browns franchise. It gives a big view. Like we were all confident here on what's been going on, but when guys like this start coming here and say, "I want to co," I, yes, I'm going to help you guys take the next step. And look, part of it is for selfish reasons because they want to get to the net, you know a higher step themselves. But it gives you the outside perspective of what others feels about this current Cleveland Browns product. Yeah, I mean, and and I think it's all selfish reasoning, and and that's completely fine, and and that's the way the the NFL operates. Yes, but they're not hanging out the doors in Foxborough. They're coming to Berea. Right, right, right. Um, But yeah, I mean, to to me, you know, you you mentioned Todd Munkin, and um, look at, so so Zach Taylor's going to get the Bengals job, right? Yep. Like, Zach Taylor's resume is is no more impressive than Todd Munkin's. He just... It's probably smaller. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's probably more impressive. He just happens to be on on kind of the team du jour this year uh, with with the Rams. And and I think, you know, to to that point, people are probably looking at the Browns. And and, in, in particular, Todd Munkin's looking at Baker Mayfield thinking... There's no reason why, if I'm the offensive coordinator here, I won't be in discussions for for offensive co- or for head coaching jobs a year from now. That that's the reason. And you know, th- this point got beaten to, to death on Twitter by everybody, including me. That's the reason why Freddie Kitchens being the offensive coordinator again on this team was never realistic. Because if he was as good as everybody thought he was, he was going to get hired away a year from now. Well, now you don't have to worry about that because Freddie Kitchens is your head coach. But if you lose an offensive coordinator this off season or next off season, I should say that that that's completely fine because you're just going to come in and replace them and, and still have Freddie kitchens in the fold as your head coach. So yeah, I mean the, the Browns and, and, and on the de- defensive side of the ball with Steve Wilkes, um, you can do a lot worse than having uh, miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi and uh, uh, Denzel Ward as your building blocks. You, you can do a lot worse in terms of what you think you can do with defensive talent. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the Browns are a springboard job right now, and uh, that, that seems crazy to say, but um, I, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to, to look at Todd Munkin taking this job and, and look at Steve Wilkes uh, looking to, to, to land back on his feet in Cleveland and, and see what those two coaches are probably thinking about their futures and, and what they can do with this opportunity ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, because this kind of thing in years past used to result in uh, go be a coordinator in Cleveland for a year or a team that might make the playoffs and I'll be a positional coach. These guys were going to take the jobs of being positional coaches. That's the way it worked. And now it's not. And and it it almost seemed like, you know, like, you know, I remember the old uh, Miller Lite commercials with Joe Kleck or whatever. You know, fish get in the boat. That was almost how the assistant coach search went. Like John Dorsey just said, all right, well, I need you, you, or you. And these guys, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Like everybody just jumped out the opportunity. And it, it, it just did an amazing job showing well, the perception of what we're all feeling. Go ahead, Ben. Well, well, I even, to, to you know, go back to three years ago when, when the Browns hired, hired Hugh Jackson. Um, 
and everybody was excited about the Hugh Jackson hire. Like that was that was thought not only by the fan base but but by people around the league as a home run hire. And yet, you look at the staff he put together. Pep Hamilton was the offensive coordinator, and he was basically a, a de facto position coach with the quarterbacks. And they they had Ray Horton back as defensive coordinator. Like this was they were not landing home run hires as, as far as the coordinators were concerned and they were not putting together stellar staffs. Um, I'm not like, I'm not the guy to ask about like, what do you think about this hire? What do you think about that hire? And in terms of position coaches, and I saw a lot of people excited today about the full staff getting announced and, and the running backs coach and the quarterbacks coach and all of that. I, I'm not going to pretend to even know all of the names on that list, but, but I can tell you that the, the coordinator hires are two guys who are who are very very qualified, if not overqualified, for this role, and and two hires that, that everybody thinks are, are are home run hires, on a staff that that you feel pretty good about already the head coaching position. So yeah, I mean, um, it it just says a lot when you when you look at what what Freddie Kitchens is able to do with his staff versus what what Hugh Jackson was able to do with his staff three years ago. I mean, it, it's not even a debate. Yeah, and and that and that's the recipe of building a roster. I mean, you know, Todd Munkin finished second for the Jet job. Um, right. You know, Steve Wilkes obviously, you know, just came off a head coaching gig in Arizona, where you know, kind of got the raw end of the stick after one year. But it's it, it, it's going to be fun here, and we're about to finish off this staff. And for me, now we're going to get to the part that I like: the off season and player evaluation, and who's staying, and what are we chasing after. And this is just going to make for and, and the funniest, craziest thing is John flipped thirty one guys of this roster. You know, from when he got here to go into this season, and now, I mean, it's almost going to be musical chairs and it, it maybe what seven, eight stools. I mean, maybe to make this team. Yeah, yeah, no, there, there's no doubt about it. <clears throat> and just you know, the the talent on this. You know, I looked at why we're so used to needing wide receiver help with the Browns, and um, you look and, and yet, like I think every offseason you could you you could add a receiver and I think that the Browns still need that like dominant number one. But if Rashad Perriman is, is doing what, what he was doing this season, uh and, and Jarvis Landry continues to pick up the pace and Rashard Higgins can continues to play the way he played throughout the season and uh Antonio Callaway really came on in, in those last few games, like that's four receivers right there. Like I I don't know how much more you can add to the position. I, I think they still do need that, that go-to number one type. But, but when you just look at this roster, I mean, there are still holes. I mean, and, and there are holes on most NFL rosters and, and yep. there are certainly holes uh, on the interior defensive line. And, and I think at linebacker and um, they, they could probably stand to add a, a playmaker or two in the secondary, but like the lot, it, it's not a laundry list anymore. It, or it, it, it's not, you know, you you go back to a year ago. So a year ago, the Browns had the number one pick and the number four pick. Um, we knew they were going to take a quarterback at number one. That that was a no brainer. At number four, you could have made an argument for I'd say just about any position on the roster. And and I don't mean in terms of you know they should you should never take a running back at at number four. You you should never take this position or that position. But like we were talking about Bradley Chubb. And that was a year removed from taking Miles Garrett. Like there were, there were so many holes on this roster that, other than offensive guard, you you could have justified just about any position with the number four pick. Now, if they had the number four pick, like 
there's only a handful of positions that that you could justify taking there. Um, and, and that, you know, to, is a credit to John Dorsey and a, a credit to what this front office has been able to do in, in just a year's time. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a completely different outlook for this offseason as opposed to what we've seen in the last couple of offseasons. Well, now, in the way I quit it right now, I mean, what you're doing with the roster, it's almost kind of like rich man problems. It's like, <laughs> all right, well, we kind of like everybody. Well, maybe we could get a little more athletic at the linebacker position. Right. Or, you know, and the thing is, and, and everybody with me, uh, oh, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, go get him. But now you just mentioned, you know, and yeah, I completely agree with you, four fully functional wide receivers. When they, do people realize what the fifth and sixth wide receivers on most teams do? They play when the other guys are dinged up or they play special teams. So could you imagine going to Antonio Callaway saying, eh, well, this week you're covering punts. I mean, you know, these guys are starting to establish themselves and nobody wants to bring up the fact that, this is just going to be year two of this product. And now these guys are going to hit the ground running together. It's not going to be everybody where Callaway comes in and, you know, Perriman was a late addition and Ratley and Willies and, and, and Baker Mayfield and they all show up in May and, hey, let's kind of see what we have here. They're going to hit the ground running. They have Freddie, so not too much is going to change. Obviously, there's going to be some influence with Munkin, which is going to add a little more vertical to it which would benefit keeping a Bashard Perriman, which is going to certainly help an Antonio Callaway. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I do think the holes, if they're there, maybe more on the defensive side of the ball. And But like I'm saying, it's rich man problems. Like you're going from plastic cups to picking out nice champagne flutes. Yeah, and, and like I, li- I, I think they need a linebacker. Like I think they could just stand to add a playmaking linebacker. But, but you look at it, and I like Christian Kirksey. I like Joe Schobert. I, I like Jamie Collins even more than most. I, I don't know how, you know, how, how long he is for this team or, or if this is the offseason they're going to cut him or, or what's going to happen there. But, like, they have three functioning starting linebackers. Like, they, there is not that that glaring, glaring hole, I, I guess, other than uh, the, the defensive tackle spot next to, next to Ogunjobi. But, um, you know, it's – I like Miles Garrett, obviously. I, I like Emmanuel Ogba. I, I, and, and, you know, they need defensive depth. There's no question about that. Um, but but there is a, a lot to like on this roster at the safety position. They have Jabril Peppers um, and, and, and Demarius Randall. Like, I, they, they could definitely use some depth at cornerback. I, I think that goes without saying. But um, there is not – those glaring holes just they, – they don't exist. And um, – Aside from maybe defensive tackle there, yep. Um, but but yeah, I mean, this is a, a roster that is just so much more formed than it was a, a, a year ago. Yeah, and, and this is going to be something that may, we can almost even cut to this now. It'll be August, and it'll be like, well, you know, uh, the two third round picks didn't play much in the third preseason game. That's a telling sign. No, the telling sign is. There's a bunch of guys in front of them who have proven it, and it's just going to be a wait and see and wait for your opportunity type of thing. And that's just kind of going to be the way it goes, and that's the way it goes with good football teams. But if you look at the skill side where three running backs played, uh, four tight ends played, for God's sakes, uh, you know, I mean, even Damian Ratley, Derek Willies contributed from the wide receiver standpoint, each had a big game in this season. This is the way it's going to be, and that's what you want. So when you have a guy or two who's down for a week, or you want to know what? You don't need to play this week. We've got enough depth behind you. Get better. We'll revisit this week, next week, and we'll line you up, and we'll get out there and get business done. But that's what you're looking for, and that's just a credit to everything that's gone on here within the last you know, 12 to 14 months and where this product has gone. 
And Ben, I mean, look, you cover it. I cover it. It's good for us. Covering good football, good sports is fun. Makes the job 10 times easier. Yeah, it's a lot more fun to, to talk Browns right now than it is to, to talk Cavs. Um, so, so yeah, that, that goes without saying, but yeah, I mean, a calendar flip for you. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, they, they had the thing at the the stadium today where, where they introduced Freddie kitchens and, um, you know, in, in past years, if they were coming off a a disastrous season, people would probably be rolling their eyes at, at Freddie kitchen. I mean, a year ago when John Dorsey came in here and talked about awaking a sleeping giant, everybody just rolled their eyes because it, it, it was stuff we had heard before. But now that, that you actually see tangible results out there on the field, uh, you know, you don't mock things like like them having a big celebration at the stadium for Freddie Kitchens or, or you don't you don't care about that stuff. It, it just doesn't matter. What what matters is what happens out there on the field. And, and yeah, when when they're winning or, or they're putting a winning product, at least out there on the field, uh, it, 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 it makes the team a lot more enjoyable to cover. Uh, it makes Twitter conversations and, and healthy debate about players and roster construction and, and front office decisions. It makes those conversations a lot more enjoyable and, and for whatever reason, a lot less personal. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, you know, having winning football, it's it's in this orbit, this Browns orbit that we all kind of circle. It, it, it makes everybody uh, a lot more agreeable and, and just a lot happier. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, because, you know, like for me, you know, like one of my bold contentions is, well, Jarvis Landry wasn't worth the money. And it, it, we're arguing over a guy who, you know, over 80 receptions for almost 1,000 yards. And so, I mean, it's not about the, you know, well, this guy with 33 receptions, maybe he could be this guy one day if everything clicked and everything worked. No, those days are over. Those days right. are over, guys. The product is here. Uh, guys, we're going to put a bow on this one. I do want to thank Ben Axelrod, obviously, who was in the house today uh, for the Freddie Kitchens presses, uh, presser. Um, look, I mean, look, guys, I, I think. The Browns are kind of at a point now where, you know, look, they want to be able to celebrate some things, and they appreciate the fact, and look, and Ben knows who talks to the season ticket sales guys. I talk with them. The product right now is off the charts. Uh, but my Ryan Burns, the guy lives in California. He just bought he just bought a season ticket package. So, I mean, that's that's how legit and everything is right now, and everybody is kind of geeked about it. Um, guys, read uh, everything Ben does. Obviously, great job covering including sports over at WKYC. Follow him at Ben Axelrod. The Locked On Browns Twitter account, we always keep it follow back, guys. So go ahead and follow over there. Any questions you have, uh, if you think it's a stupid question, feel free to DM. I'll always answer everything over there. Follow me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, like I said, uh, anything from the Locked On NFL Network, Instagram, Twitter, follow the Locked On NFL Net accounts. Uh, guys, uh, if your kids got one of those, uh, you know, if they got an Alexa... Or you want to screw with them with Surrey, just say, play, podcast, Locked On Browns, guys. It'll come on up. Uh, it's been a great month. I cannot be more appreciative of the support you guys have all given me. Um, and as we always say, we put a bow here on Locked On Browns. LGB on the LOB. Let's go, Browns.